That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. What's up, Jake? Hey, Aaron, welcome uh, to another episode of the same old no, song. Thank you. <laughs> so we are here and uh, uh, technically recording uh, before Christmas, so we are just barely hanging on. But um, uh, but by uh, our fingernails. But this episode, you'll listen to it after Christmas, when um, well, January 9th, uh, By now, everybody's given up on their Bible reading plan and um, is uh, you know, uh, getting ready for next year. Their resolution. So, uh, um, but uh, before that, how are you doing? I'm good. I've had one cup of coffee. I probably need about two more. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had some of my wife's homemade biscotti. We're recording sort of early uh, for us. Usually we're afternoon recorders, but today it's it's uh, early morning in Waco. The office is quiet. Uh, and I am, since it's pre-Christmas, running out of fuel. But hopefully by the time this uh, this passage is preached, we'll be back at full full steam ahead. So that's, uh, that's me checking in. How about you, Jake? Good. I'm doing great. I've got a little itch in my throat. It's not corona. I feel like I have How's to justify my... Yeah. He's great, you know, uh, starving, so because the kids fight over whose turn it is to feed him. But I can't relate to that at all. Human sin at work in my house, and so, but it's, uh, it's, it's good. So, and, uh, but what we need in the moments like this is what we need is a revelation of who God actually is. And uh, that's what we get on January 9th, uh, a revelation of who God actually is and what he means for you. And that'll be, today we'll be looking at the revelation of God found in Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 7. Acts chapter 8, verses 14 through 17, and Luke chapter 3, verses 15 through 17 and 21 to 22. And so we dive right in uh, to uh, a very, very beautiful passage um, from Isaiah 43. And what what sticks out to you about it? How would you preach this particular passage here? Uh, This is God promising to the people of Israel (laughs) that while things are tough now, he will bring them home and he does care for them. And I feel like this is a message that never really gets old. People never tire of hearing it because most people always think of themselves as a little bit worthless, a little bit not good enough, a little bit not measuring up, whatever the standard is. You know, Mariah Carey, there's this great podcast, I'll go ahead and plug it right now, called 60 Songs That Explain the 90s. You can find it on Spotify. Ooh, that's it's amazing. by this, yeah. It's a great podcast. The um, the one on Night Swimming by REM is unbelievable. Um, a lot, of, but and then the Wu Tang Clan, Missy Elliott. I'm learning so much, even though I lived through the '90s. But he talks. The he just recently did one on, or I just recently listened to one on Mariah Carey's "All I Want for Christmas Is You," which I love. I don't know how you feel about it, Jake, but mm-hmm. I love that song. But um, I love her Simon's whole Christmas album. I think, okay. I think her whole Christmas album is um, art. Her and the Carpenters. So. Amen. Yeah. So, but he says, one of the things he talks about is how, she, you know, for her whole life, she's dealt with issues of self-worth and all mm-hmm. that. 
All that to say is she's got 19 number one hits, which if she gets one more, she will like match the Beatles. And she's sold tens of millions of albums. She's incredibly successful. And she still deals with issues of whether she's worthy or not, like her just kind of self-worth. She's got a had a really rough childhood and yeah, uh, and and young adulthood and adulthood and so all. The, anyways, my point is, if Mariah Carey needs to hear that she's loved, probably your congregation needs to hear it too. And this passage, and this is a unique idea that is really the idea that you are yes. loved and that God loves you is not the default setting for human beings as they move through the world. Most religions had views of gods who were pretty terrible. They were like. They were like Loki, like kind of powerful, but a little bit mean. Sometimes they might be nice. Um, and many of us still think of God, the God of the Bible, in that way, because we've been sort of, he's been presented a little bit like Santa Claus, like be good or else kind of stuff. Um, there's just not a lot of good teaching. And, and God is often just seen as a behavior policeman. Yeah, And this message that God is love is so needed and so refreshing. And it's it's here. This is um, God telling people, don't be afraid. I have called you by name. You're mine. Um, you will go through hard times, the waters, the fire, all this stuff. Yes, but I am your savior. And he, when he says, I give Egypt as your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba <coughs> in exchange for you, it's basically saying, "I, you are so valuable. You're worth Egypt. You're worth Ethiopia. You're with Seba. Like these great nations, nations that would have been the the like the you know the the global superpowers of the time. And Israel is this little tiny like defeated, exiled, scattered, smashed nation. It's um, I mean, you think about when when a new president is elected and people or get appointed ambassador like everybody wants to be the ambassador to Switzerland or the ambassador to France. Nobody wants to be the ambassador to. Uh, Equatorial Guyana, for example, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but here, God is saying, like, basically, I would, I would trade Egypt and Ethiopia, these great powers, for you because you're precious and I love you. Yeah. Um, and so, it, and then again, it says, "Do not fear." So it says this kind of, "Don't fear." I love you. You're mine. Over and over. And to preach that to your people, to if you can get your people to understand how loved they are, how God sees them, that's really powerful. And and that's a word that needs to come from the outside, i.e. needs to come from the preacher to your congregation's ears, because no one else is telling them that they're loved and then they're okay. Everything else is giving them judgment. And even in their own heads, the voice is saying, you're, you're a screw up, you're not good enough, you're not worthy, all of that. And so you need to hear it from the outside. And this text just says it over and over and over again. And I think that's, that's what I would talk about if I preached on Isaiah 43. That's right. And I think, yeah, absolutely. And the world actually, um it loves to lie a lot, and it loves to tell you to look within and find the strength within. And as you, I mean, and I think that is something to really build on. And uh, when you pass through the waters of your life that uh, seem like they're overwhelming, when you walk through the fire, um, uh, looking within is the last place you want to look. Uh, because uh, the fact is, is that there are some things in life that are too strong for you. Uh, they're too hot for you. Um, and so what you need is, yeah, as you said, I mean, that's very powerful. Christianity, the Judeo-Christian religion, is designed to pull you outside of yourself. And that's how you need to preach this text. Uh, God has said something about you. Uh, it, 
whether you know it or not, whether you believe it or not, that's what you got to get across to your congregation. He has said, I am the Lord your God. I'm the Holy One of Israel, and I'm your Savior. Uh, you know, I'm not your life coach. I'm not the one to challenge you. I am your Savior. And really, that's what, uh, that's what people, as they're in the fire, they need to hear. You have a Savior. And that's the yeah, good news of this passage. And if I could give an example from contemporary culture uh, <clears throat> about Please. how how counterintuitive this message is, it would be from Hawkeye, the series Ooh. that's currently airing on Disney Plus, streaming uh, wherever you uh, get your streaming. Actually, no, that's not true. Only on Disney Plus. But I'm, it, I'm in an the Marvel behind. So. Okay, well, I won't give anything away, but it, this is just to refer to the fact that in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that Natasha Romanoff, a.k.a. the Black yeah. Widow, a.k.a. Scarlett Johansson, sacrifices herself, and Hawkeye survives. And she sacrifices herself kind of in general for the world, but mm -hmm. she also sacrifices herself so that Hawkeye can live. And after that, and you see in the series, he's racked with guilt because he feels like he doesn't deserve it. He explicitly says, like, I didn't deserve that. And... And I, my point is, like, this is how most people feel. Yeah. Like, I don't deserve it. And But what if you did? Mm -hmm. Like, what if, what if at least in God's eyes, you were that valuable? You mm -hmm. were worth sacrificing yourself, and that's what God does for you. What if, mm -hmm. what if that's how valuable you are? What if that's how loved you are? So uh, we tend to go through life just feeling like, anyways, not deserving, whatever. And, 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 the thing about Jesus Christ is that, yeah, he knows you're not deserving, but he loves you that much. And so um, don't be like Cliff Barton slash Hawkeye who just walks through life like sad and moping and I don't deserve this and whatever. Missing Christmas know that you were loved. <laughs> yeah, missing Christmas because he's in Jake's uh, Jake City. He's in mm. New York City messing up the Christmas tree in Rockefeller Center. Mm. Yeah, and, uh, you know, and uh, that is, um, yeah, it's all outside you. Uh, when I look within... Um, well, I, I can't help but be afraid, you know? When I look within, I can't help but uh, be totally anxious and nervous. Uh, but when you can pull uh, your uh, congregant out of themselves to Christ on the cross, who has um, overcome the water and has extinguished the flames, um, well, then you've done something great. And if you want, yeah, and I just I just keep thinking of another example. An example that's the opposite of Cliff Barton or like... So, so Cliff feels he doesn't deserve it. He's feeling guilty and worthless and all that. If you want an example of somebody who realizes how valuable they are because of what somebody sacrifices for them, look no further than uh, Jimmy Stewart slash George Bailey and It's a Wonderful Life at the end when everybody's like, you know, dumping money into his lap and have it all and send you everything. And like, and he realizes he's loved. He realizes he's worthy and valuable. So that's like, if you... Man, if I were preaching this passage, I would want people to walk out of church feeling like George Bailey at the end of It's a Wonderful Life. Like, what? I thought I was I thought I was nothing. I thought I was at the end of my rope. And it turns out that God will give up incredibly valuable things for me because that's how much he loves me. I mean, it. we hear it so often, uh, I love you, uh, from God in the scriptures. Uh, he says it right here in this passage. But it's it feels a little hollow because we're so used to hearing it. So that's those are my examples I would give. Uh, don't be like Hawkeye. Be like uh, George Bailey. Know that you're loved. Mm. That's good. Yeah. Well, um, so then do, we Jake. come to so so we so that's the first kind of revelation. 
our uh, first epiphany in uh, in Isaiah is that God actually uh, loves you. Uh, don't take that for granted. That is not a common revelation among the gods. <laughs> you yeah, know? Um, absolutely. So, but this one actually loves you. He declares that he's your God. Um, before you did, actually, when you didn't do anything for him, when you were his enemy, he said, I'm your God. Where um, So that's a new revelation. But then we come to um, Acts chapter 8, verses 14 through 17, and we see uh, what this epiphany, what this revelation actually does. And uh, so you have these three verses which seem very kind of um, odd and about... Um, uh, 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 Peter and uh, John going up and uh, laying their hands on the Samaritans. Uh, and uh, what's happening here is actually uh, the fulfillment. What we begin to see in Acts chapter 8 is the fulfillment of the Great Commission. If you remember, Jesus says, you will be my witnesses uh, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then until the ends of the earth. And Acts, Acts is structured in that way. It begins in Jerusalem and it ends with Saint Paul, when, with Peter in Jerusalem and ends with St. Paul in Rome. But here you see the word moving out. Um, persecution is beginning. And as we see, persecution cannot stop the word of God. It begins to actually spread like wildfire in the midst of persecution. And here these apostles, Peter and John, go to Samaria. And uh, what, what, what would you have to say about that, Aaron? Well, I would say a couple things. One is... Uh, you can let your congregation know that for the rest of the church year, or for a while at least, they will be reading from the Corinthian correspondence in this Don't verse in that. Acts. It's just it's just kind of out of the blue. So if Don't you're feeling as a preacher, like, I know, I know. <laughs> Paul's letters to the Corinthians, First uh, Corinthians mostly, a little bit in Second Corinthians, but that's where you're going to mm-hmm. be starting next Sunday, January 16th. But And for now, you get this kind of out of context thing in Acts, and you do have to do a little homework to kind of explain what's going on. Uh, but yeah, you're right, Jake, that the point is in the Epiphany season, we're learning that Jesus is not just for Israel, but is for the whole world, Gentiles included. And that's really good news, because if that were not the case, the wonderful passage we just read in Isaiah 43 would not be for us, because it it was originally, in its context, only to the people of Israel. But because through Christ, in, in this season of Epiphany, that's the aha moment, that's the revealing that we have, we see that this message is for us, too, for everybody. And so... Uh, you have these people with, that are you have these people who are historic enemies, you know. Right. Um, uh, you have uh, and John actually. You remember the last time that they were walking through uh, through Samaria and uh, the Samaritans did not receive them. Uh, John and his brother James asked Jesus if it, they could call down thunder upon the place and decimate it, and uh, like Elijah had done, and they received a, a, a big old rebuke from Jesus. And so here you see John now um, actually. Um, uh, a Judean Christian going to Samaritan, Samaritan Christians and giving them the Holy Spirit. Yeah, because the Jews would have seen, the sort of pure Jewish people would have seen the Samaritans as kind of these, uh, you know, impure, uh, you know, half-breeds mixed with, you know, the northern kingdom is where they come from, and they developed their own version of the scriptures. They had their own temple, kind of a rival of Jerusalem. And, uh, and yeah, would have been seen as pretty terrible. And the fact that they've now received the gospel because Philip, the evangelist, had gone down there and preached to them after the um, 
persecution broke out with the stoning of St. Stephen and all that. So the, the Christian community that had been in Jerusalem was scattered. Now they're taking the gospel to places like Samaria. And um, you get this powerful thing where Peter and John come and lay hands on Samaritans and they receive the Holy Spirit. So this breaking open of God's word to people who feel like they don't deserve it. And I would say to preachers, Yes, there. so there's a temptation in some parts of the Christian church to make this about the fact, and it is true that this is partially what it's about, that Jesus is, uh, and the message of Jesus is about crossing cultural, class, and racial lines and bringing people together. Um, but it's not about doing that just for the sake of Coca-Cola commercial, let's teach the world to sing and hold hands and yeah. all that. The point of it is to communicate to all people who are all equal sinners and all equal in the fact that they are loved by God. So the idea here is to take this message of Christ to all people in a world that at that time was very much divided by, again, race, gender, all that sort of stuff. So it's not, but again, my point is not that we should have unity among the human race just for its own sake, as wonderful as that may be. The point of this here is that the message of forgiveness of sins goes to these people and the infilling of the Holy Spirit goes to these people. Um, the message here being that the people of Israel need salvation, the Samaritans need salvation, everybody needs salvation. And so the message of Jesus goes across these boundary lines to, to bring it to them. And it would have been phenomenal and unbelievable for even Peter and John to see these Samaritans uh, receiving the Holy Spirit. And we can presume, you know, the text indicates that something happened they could, so they could tell whether they were speaking in tongues or whoever, or whatever happened. Clearly there was some visible manifestation of the Spirit. And it's it's pretty, pretty powerful. Um, this is not about the second blessing. Uh, this is not, by the way, if you're, if you care about this, people, uh, this is not like saying that if you're baptized, you're sort of like that's step one, but you have to have the second blessing or like, you know, the yeah. real the real infilling of the Spirit. Uh, you can't even confess the name of Jesus Christ without the work of the Holy Spirit. So uh, this, this is one of those one-off situations as opposed to a normative situation that is supposed to... Um, there, there was some, there's something in God's sovereignty and wisdom that this is why he did it this way with them. Um but I uh, just want to have that side note there. That's good. And then we come to Luke chapter 3, verses 15 through 17, 21 to 22, the baptism of Jesus. I just love how you affirm me after everything I say. Yeah, that's great. I love it. You know? Okay. I'd go, to, I'd so, go to your church. Oh, thanks, man. I would go to your church, too. If you're in New York and you're not going to Calvary St. George's, man, what's the matter with you? Okay. So Luke chapter 3, 15 through 17, skip 18, 19, 20, and then 21 through 22. So we're at the beginning still of Luke's gospel. This is the gospel we're going to be reading through through year C of the lectionary here. So get your people used to it. And this is after Jesus has been born. And last Sunday you would have read about the Magi, unless you picked one of the other optional readings and you read about Jesus being 12 years old in the temple and... Basically, we're now skipping forward from the time of year when people were thinking about baby Jesus and infant Jesus and toddler Jesus and maybe, you know, tween Jesus. Now we're skipping ahead to the beginning of his actual ministry. And, um, but, and this is kind of the, the opening act. Uh, this is Jesus getting baptized. And 
it's one of those things where I I think there's a lot to do here in talking about why in the world Jesus would be baptized. It's really crazy when you think about it that the Son of God needs to be baptized. That that uh, God in human flesh would get baptized because this is clearly <coughs> a baptism for repentance. It's it's a baptism for people who are sinners. Um, and here Jesus shows up to be baptized at the, in the Jordan River by John. You do have to explain a little bit here because for whatever reason, this segment picked by the lectionary committee does not give you any of the beginning, at least here, of John's John the Baptizer's ministry. It doesn't it doesn't say like so John was down at the River Jordan baptizing and blah blah blah, which I think it should do, but um, mm. but it doesn't. So so you don't have all the brood of vipers conversation, which happens right before this. You just have um, uh, Jesus showing up. But and, but anyways, so do a little context for your people. Explain that John is baptizing. Explain that it's a baptism for sinners, and so it's crazy that Jesus shows up and says you got to baptize me. Um, so, uh, that's, that's what I, I, and I think what I would say about that is that it's, you know, and this is what you would say about it, I know, because we <laughs> talked about it, uh, is that Jesus getting baptized is him saying, I want to be on the list with all the sinners. I want to be, if there are two lists in the world, one that says perfect people and one list that says sinful people, take my name off the perfect list and put it on the sinful list. Not because I've done anything sinful, but I want to be counted with them because I need to redeem and save them. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Um, this is actually the baptism of Jesus in the River Jordan is one of the few events like the crucifixion that is recorded in all four Gospels. Um, and uh, that is because absolutely uh, Jesus is identifying with us in every possible way. There's that great hymn for us. He came for us. He died. Um, and uh, it is all about what Jesus did. And Jesus getting baptized is not about him, but for us. And for us, in order to fulfill all righteousness, to identify with us in every possible way. And so he enters into the murky waters of sin and repentance in order that we might enter into the waters of his baptism in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and be completely washed clean of that. And I mean, the revelation, the epiphany that's happening here is that when he comes up out of this water, you see this profound image of the Trinity, you know, uh, a dove, the Holy Spirit descends upon him and the voice from heaven, the voice of the Father, declares him to be his beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. God says something about Jesus here, because the next thing going forward is that Jesus is going to be, in Luke's gospel here, is Jesus is going to be thrust into the wilderness, uh, where he, as fully man, is going to need to cling on to that declaration of what God has said about him. You are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. And the same is true with, with your parishioners. <clears throat> when they were baptized, God gave them a promise. God gave them Christ's righteousness. And uh, in Christ's righteousness, God says to them, you are my son, the beloved, and with you I am well pleased. And so because Christ has entered into the murky waters of our sin and death, we enter into the clean waters of his righteousness. 
And uh, God says the same thing over you and your parishioners. And they're going to need to know that, and they're going to need to be able to cling to that as they face the trials and temptations of life as well. That's right. And I think the, the, there's two other things you can talk about in this passage. Uh, one is the fact that John the Baptist indicates that willpower and feeling really bad about your sins is not going to change you. That's right. So John says, I baptize you with water but one more powerful than me is coming. Um, so the water is this symbol of forgiveness. People are coming to John and saying, I'm, I feel really sorry for my sins. I want to get a fresh start. They're like John Hamm at the end of Mad Men, Don Draper, like in the, in the waters of the waves crashing over him. And like, he's like, you know, fresh start. But as we all know, Don Draper does not turn his life around. In fact, it gets worse. So this is uh, what happens with people. And what John says is that someone more powerful is coming. And again, says he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit, which we just saw kind of an example of that in Acts chapter 8. So what this means for the Christian is that um, if willpower and, and really meaning it sincerely when you say, I'm sorry and I want to do better, if that were enough, John the Baptist would have been the end of the line. But he's not. He's the end of the line of the Old Testament prophets, but somebody else comes, and that's Jesus Christ. And um, and as Jake said, you get this picture of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, because we need the Trinitarian God, the indwelling Holy Spirit, the um, redeeming Son of God, Jesus Christ, um, and God the Father Almighty. All, again, not three gods, one God, three persons. We can talk about that later on Trinity Sunday, but we need somebody to come inside us and, as we say in the prayer book, incline our hearts to keep this law, to transform us from the inside out, um, not just try harder to do better. So this is why John is not the final word. Jesus comes after that to save you, to redeem you, and to give you the Holy Spirit to fill you up. The second thing I would say is John the Baptist does not get this. Mm. He thinks, I mean, he does know that someone else needs to come and baptize you with the Holy Spirit, but he thinks Jesus is coming to judge, which he will, but that's at the end of time. He's John's sort of mixed up on the timing here, and the reason it's important to get or to understand that right in this moment, John the baptizer thinks that Jesus is coming to just open up a can of, of uh, whoop-ass, as they say, yeah. on people, is because <clears throat> when Jesus doesn't do that, when he comes and he he begins his ministry and he's like, I forgive you and I forgive you and I forgive you and you're a Gentile and unclean, but I'll touch you and heal you and you're a woman in sin and I forgive you. Like, that's what Jesus does. And John is like, what is going on? Where's the fire? Where's the the gathering the wheat and burning up the chaff? That's what I came to see. And John's not sure that Jesus is actually the Messiah, even though he baptized him and saw the dove come down on him and say, and hear the voice of God, this is my son, the beloved. So John thinks Jesus is coming to bring judgment, and he says it right here. And it's important to note that because that's what everybody thinks God is about. Back to our original point about Isaiah 43, everybody thinks God is about judgment. The miracle is that God says, I'm about love, and I've come to forgive, and I've come to save, and that's what Jesus is about to do, and it blows everybody's mind. That's right. Well, anything else we got to say? Any loose ends? Any final crumbs of wisdom? Okay, well, we're good. We've all been given a beautiful epiphany of who God actually is. He's the God who actually loves you. He's the Mm. God who's torn down, uh, is actually the God who's actually for your enemies. And uh, he is a triune God who has uh, been baptized in order to uh, baptize you with his righteousness and save you. 
Mm. That's tasty. Good work, Jake. <laughs> All right. Until well, until, until next, next time. time. God bless. You too. Somebody's looking. Somebody cares. Somebody wonders what you're doing today. You know we crucified him, buried him, but three days later, well, the stone got rolled away. And yes, Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production. And remember to keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.